This is the third of a three video series on special teams by Nick Schroeder of Lincoln Way Central High School in the south suburbs of Chicago. Without a doubt, the most complete three video series that we've ever done on special teams. Really incredible. Be sure to check out the other two if you haven't already. This one's on shield punt. Uh, very detailed all the way down to cadence and how we're going to cover it and of course how you're going to block it but fakes off of it. Just a ton of good info. I hope you enjoy it. If you want to see it in person or you want to see anything else we've done, check us out at clinic.chiefpigskin.com. Right, thanks again, coaches, for uh, uh, coming on here and kind of checking some special team stuff out today. Uh, today I'm going to show you a little bit about shield punt. Uh, most of this is taken directly from our playbook when I was the special teams coordinator for Lincoln Way Central. Uh, for those that uh, uh, watched the earlier conversation on general special teams thoughts, I apologize. I'm repeating myself here. Then there's one slide that's going to re repeat in here as well. Um, but uh, my name is Nick Schroeder, and I've been very fortunate enough uh, to, for Coach to have me on here today uh, to talk a little bit about special teams. I've been fortunate to be the special teams coordinator at both St. Ambrose University and then Lincoln Way Central as well. I now serve as the defensive coordinator at Lincoln Way Central uh, up in New Lenox, Illinois. Uh, and again, appreciate Coach having me here. So today, talk a little bit about shield punt. So I know that this doesn't say shield punt on here because, again, this is taken directly from our playbook minus a couple slides that I added today. Or I shouldn't say minus, but uh, with, with the exception of I added a few slides in here today. Um, but every part of our playbook, whenever I've been in charge of it, uh, has had the saying that it's not important until it's important. And again, I know I spoke on that in the last conversation as, as well. But basically, it's the idea that a lot of times special teams aren't made as important as people think or talk about them uh, and, until a situation comes up in a game, right? All of a sudden, you just got a, a, a punt blocked or whatever, and everybody's going nuts. Um, and everybody's trying to blame, everyone's trying to yell at everyone. Well, it's like, well, all of a sudden it wasn't important then, right? But were you making it important that week in practice, in summer camp, things of that nature? So um, the first couple slides I did add, and, and they kind of tie into what I was just talking about, okay? I would never go over this, quote, uh, this special teams math with players, uh, but I think as coaches it's something to kind of help set the stage of where my mind frame comes um, when I'm coordinating a special a special teams. Uh, basically, it's that everyone talks about war uh, winning the third phase, right? There's not a coach in America that says, ah, we don't really care about special teams or we don't want to get better. Everyone talks about it, okay? But if it's really a third phase of the game, how come no one spends a third of their time on it, right? So if you had a two-hour practice, that would be 120 minutes, you would have to spend 40 minutes just on special teams if you were truly doing a third of your practice on a third of the game, right? Again, we all talk about it being a third of the game, but I'm here to tell you no one really does it that way, all right? So um, it's not very realistic to say that you're going to spend a third of your time on it. So is it really a third phase of the game for you? 
Of course, specialists can spend, right? If you have a guy who just kicks or just snaps, yeah, they can spend a lot of time on it, but that's not how it's really played in the game. So that's not how it's realistic either. If you want to pin a team down within the uh, the negative five-yard line using your punt unit, it's not just a snapper and a punter that get that done. So, yeah, those guys have a lot of time to do it, but it takes a lot more pieces to that. So... I think you have to be realistic. And if you were around from my first conversation, it was about keeping special teams simple. Just because deep down, those players have more stuff that's on their mind, even even outside of football, but just football related. They have more stuff that's on their mind. They have to remember coverages. They have to remember uh, what their third, third down um, call is going to be offensively, okay? So players already have a lot to remember. Special teams, making them memorize a bunch of that stuff. I don't know how realistic that is. So let's talk about realistic again. Uh, The most recent season I charted, again, that was 2019. We were 16% of our entire season. 16% of our entire season was a kicking down, okay? So let's do that out of 120-minute practice. So if you took 16% of that two-hour practice, all of a sudden that's 19 minutes, okay, 19.2. All right, pretty much 20. That's that's a little more realistic, okay? Now, I do think 16% is pretty low. Um, in fact, we're going to talk shield punt today, and we only punted the ball 32 times, all right? So let's say you round it up. Let's say, okay, 16%, let's call it 20%, maybe 20% of your season, and that is the number I heard before. That's the number that we used at St. Ambrose. We said one out of every five downs is a kicking down, so obviously 20% there. So if you took that two-hour practice, and you found 20% of that, that would be 24 minutes, right? So realistically, in that 20% range, 16 to 20% range, you have about 20 to 25 minutes to spend on specials, and now I think that's realistic. Again, I don't think anyone's spending 40%, or excuse me, nobody's spending 40 minutes on it. Um, So if you're only going to spend 20 minutes on it, you have to be realistic about what you can get done, okay? Okay. How complex can you really be? So today I'm going to talk about shield punt, and you're going to notice it's it's not it's not complicated whatsoever because we were only spending 20 minutes of practice on special teams, and that was typically two special teams, right? So we're only doing punt for about 10 to 12 minutes of that. So again, I think it all starts with what is realistic? What can you get done in a practice time? So my thoughts on punt, this is a slide that I had in an earlier conversation, so I'll kind of kind of go through this a little bit quicker, but it's finding out what style of punt do you want to be, and more importantly, why, okay? I've always been a shield punt type guy. I've just said, because if you're only going to spend 20 minutes of practice on special teams, which is realistic, um, I don't, I'm not going to guy that's going to have a complex system and carry a lot of fakes, things like that. I've always been a guy that, hey... If, we've, if we're punting the ball, do we have fakes? Absolutely. But if we've decided we're going to punt the ball, let's be simple. Let's get it punted. Let's go cover uh, and keep things really simple for our guys that have so much else to remember. So I've always gravitated towards shield, and that is why. If you're going to be a pro style, that's fine. Just understand why you're going to do that. Are you going to do something unique like either rugby or two punters, uh, things like that, okay? Then think about, do you have enough time to teach it? So if you're going to be in this two-punt system, and all of a sudden you're spending 40 minutes a day on special teams, I don't know how realistic that is. Do you have the time to teach it? Are you either practicing longer, um, or how are you getting that done? So you have to think about, okay, I know what I want to do now, and here's why I want to do it, but do I have enough time to do that? Again, 
I think with a simple shield punt, you do have enough time, Coach, and that's what I'll talk about today. Then you think about what do you really want it to look like. So talking about shield punt, I think here's a great example. There's two different types of shields that I see or have had experience with. It's one that uses really, really big bodies back there as that shield, right? You're going to steal some offensive linemen, maybe a defensive lineman, and you're going to put those guys on the shield. A couple things with that. Number one, you've now taken linemen away from their individual time, right? Uh, Offensive line coaches love special teams because typically their guys aren't on them, so they're down there getting more indie work in. So if all of a sudden you're taking the starting right guard and maybe the backup left tackle as part of your shield, uh, they're not getting that extra work in. So that's one reason. The other reason why is you're now putting linemen out there on special teams, which is really should all be about people that can run, in my opinion. And again, that's just what's worked for me. You might be at a situation where you have to use those players, or maybe special teams to you isn't about people who can just simply run. Uh, for me, it's always gravitated towards more athletic guys. Going back to the, the uh, talk uh, earlier, right, when we were at St. Ambrose, we had a ton of linebacker and wide receiver and tight end and running back type guys. So those are the types of guys that we used in the shield because we had those guys and felt confident in them. If you put your old lineman back there, you need to be realistic. How much do you really expect them to cover, right? And if you do expect them to cover, what what task are you going to give them? Is that the guy that's going to run 15 yards wide and try to contain a punt returner? I don't know how realistic that is. So again, you could have a you could still have a shield punt, but you could have one that uses linemen. You could have one that uses all skill type players. So decide what you want it to look like. Um, from those that that listened to uh, the general talk earlier, I'm a guy that believes in having one run fake, one pass fake, and get confidence in it. Okay, again, how complex do you really want to be? You know, I think about a really standard. Uh, pass fake is one where maybe you're going to take your your right bullet and run him towards uh, like on an out route. You're going to take your left bullet and put him on a climb route. You might have somebody else in the route thing as in, in the route concept as well. Okay, um, but you're snapping the ball probably to a punter who has to throw it. Maybe you're th- maybe you're. Uh, throwing it to a shield guy okay but if not you're throwing it to a punter uh, are you really going to teach him like a read progression of how to throw this fake punt um, so yeah you need to have fakes but again how much time you have and how complicated do you really want these to be okay and if you are going to have fakes obviously use them but you can't just use them when everyone in the stadium knows that you're going to use it right I've been a part of a team where we called a fake and we called it on the negative 45 when it was fourth and two. And everybody knew we were going to call fake. We got called and it got stuffed. Okay, We called it and it got stuffed. So that was really on us as coaches. Uh, I don't think it was a bad fake. I think we called it at a bad time. Um, this is something I mentioned in the, the previous talk. Uh, but I think this is where I'm really going to expand on it. And that's to talk about the intent of rushers. I think that is something that a lot of programs miss talking about when they talk about their punt coverage of their punt team, okay? Long story short, if the guy you're responsible for in the blocking scheme isn't coming, why are you staying in there and blocking, okay? Uh, when I grew up in coaching, there was this concept that if you were on the, on the, on the punt unit, you stayed until you heard the ball get kicked. And then when the ball got kicked, you ran. And that's fine, and that works for a lot of coaches. But again, I'm going to talk today about a shield punt that's pretty simple. And man, if you're responsible for a guy and then you don't think that guy's going to come block the punt, 
just release, go cover. And again, I'll show you how that has worked for me. Uh, I've got some statistics for that. Every single thing I've mentioned up to this point doesn't matter whatsoever if you don't have a good snap and operation time. I know that that sounds like common sense, but it is worth reviewing, okay? Been very fortunate that the places I've been, we've had great long snappers, and we've had punters that have worked very, very well. Again, at St. Ambrose, we had Matt Cotiglia that won the Fred Mitchell Award for being the best kicker in the nation. Uh, at Lincoln Way, when I was the special teams coordinator, we had a guy that was also the point guard in basketball and is now a college lacrosse player. He didn't play another football position for us. He was only our punter but he was an athletic enough dude that even if it was kind of a risky snap or snap that didn't go well, he was able to get us out of those situations. So, again, it's all about that snap and that operation time, no matter what system you are in. So now this is a little bit more of taken directly from the playbook, okay? So you kind of see the font might be a little bit different, some all caps versus it wasn't. And I did that on purpose just to show you guys that this is taken directly from our playbook, all right? Uh, I mentioned this in the last conversation that I think one of the very first things you should do when you talk about special teams is talk to your players about the rules, okay? So this is directly from our playbook from 2019, our special teams playbook, and I just kind of go over these bullet points. I won't go over these with you coaches here today. These are things that you guys know, but your players do not, okay? They watch college football and they watch pro football, and there's rule changes in between them, and even if they aren't even if there aren't rule changes uh, on a specific situation the players don't know the rules anyways so make sure you take a slide in your playbook and just talk about some of the more common rules that your players really need to know for example the third bullet point if you're talking about your punt team the punt return team they're going against is going to fair catch the ball so you should make sure you have to make sure excuse me that you talk to your players about what a fair catch is how is it signaled and what does it mean to them as a punt coverage unit before you ever go out there in a game, they see a fair catch signal, they light somebody up, all because you didn't cover that with them because you just assumed they knew because they watch college football on Saturday, okay? So, again, that's our job as coaches to make sure we go over those rules. So I typically dedicate one slide to this in a playbook and it's typically the first slide just to make sure that we covered those things all right uh, but let's talk shield punt um stance and alignment and i've seen this done different ways i've actually seen you can see uh what i have here in front of you uh that between the snapper and the guards that it's two yards of spacing i've seen that where it's three yards of spacing i've seen two and a half obviously so find what works for you and again think about why a really good thing we did at st ambrose that helped us with this is we took pvc pipe so imagine if you took a 10-foot section of PVC pipe and one T, right? I'm a shop teacher, so uh, I've got good access to this stuff. Uh, but if you took a PVC T um, as well, basically let's say you took a 10-footer and you made five feet of it as your handle, then you put that T on there, right? And you got five feet left. You could have two and a half feet sticking out each way, and then that would basically give you, or excuse me, um, uh, two and a half feet each way, right? You would know that that's going to be basically five feet. You could use this as something to help go out there and measure. So we used to take that PVC pipe and we could put it in between guys to help with their spacing, right? It's a little bit, uh, a little bit of uh, like Pop Warner football where the guys stand up and they put their arms out to get their splits right. But it was a way for us to show those guys, hey, what does five feet actually look like? Okay. Well, if you wanted two yards. We had the five-foot device in front of you, and then we know that we have to be another foot away from that. 
And then again, maybe you go in between the right tackle and the right guard at three yards, right? What does that look like, okay? Um, so that was a pretty good tool for us. Not that you have to have that, but I thought it was good for young men, especially maybe if you're at the high school level. Uh, guys, a, a 15-year-old might not really know what two yards looks like, okay? So get them a device out there to show that. But basically, we had bullets. To, uh, was the LB and the right B, right? They were a bullet. Uh, obviously, we have a tackle and a guard. Uh, with some varying splits in between those guys. Then for the shield, nothing revolutionary here, coaches. Again, it was all about, hey, we're, we've decided we're punting the ball, so we just want to have some simple stuff here to get the ball punted. Uh, and I'll talk about what we did differently that did really help us, but it certainly wasn't in our alignment. So we had a left shield and a right shield. Uh, those guys had their toes at seven. They were kind of those A-gap, but we're going to number everything. But they were lined up in the A-gaps. And then that middle shield guy, he would start behind the right shield. right? He's kind of your cadence guy. Ball gets snapped. Boom, and he kind of closes that door, you might say. Punter, depends on how good your snapper is, right? Ideally, you got his toes back there at about 15 yards. Uh, but if you have a snapper that can't get it there, right, maybe he has to take an extra step up. I understand that. But ideally, his toes would be at about 15 yards deep. Everyone had the same stance, especially those front line guys. Their stance should be square with a narrow base. We want them to be able to take take a step I would say an athletic base right we don't want to be so narrow that we're kind of falling over uh, but we want to have a square stance uh, with kind of a nice athletic base our eyes should be up uh, we'll talk about our cadence here in a minute we would point at guys again this wasn't a this wasn't trying to be a complicated system for us we rather have everyone on the same page we would point at guys so their eyes are up on that defender their hands right there in the v of their hip uh, since i have been at uh, uh lincoln way our head coach when he coaches defense calls us the holsters right it's like you're grabbing from your holster uh, so that's where their hands would be and you're keying that defender okay you're reading that defender's intent or that rusher's intent which i'll talk more about for me the huge thing for shield punt is we reminded these guys that the head of the bullet the tackles and the guards had to break the plane of the snapper but we should be being warned every single game if we're not being warned, hey, coach, your left tackle needs to scoot up more, then we aren't far enough off the ball. We want to be off the ball, off the line of scrimmage, okay? Um, obviously, we can't be so far off that we're in illegal formation, but we should have those officials, especially early in the game, warning us, coach, you got to get your you got to get your right guard to scoot up a, a half a step or whatever it is, okay? Um, so we should be getting warned. We felt that that space helped us be successful as well. Not only the spacing between players, but the space off of the line of scrimmage as well. Our cadence, right? Uh, again, it was our right shield guy. Uh, it could be your middle shield. It needs to be whoever your smart guy is, okay? Um, so it really doesn't matter. It could be your left shield. But for us, it was our right shield. Uh, he would make the cadence call as follows. Number one thing, he would talk about how many men are not returners, okay? So it was really either a 10-up or a 9-up look, right? Uh, I've, I haven't seen teams that use three returners, meaning um, if they had two returners back there, that would be a 9-up look. If they had one returner back there, this would be a 10-up look. But we don't talk about, you know, I know some other play, people do it as like how many guys are on each side of the ball. So, like, for example, he might call 44 he might call 55, he might call 33, he might call 46, right? That didn't change anything that we were doing, so that didn't matter to us. 
Uh, again, I don't count anything in sixes, and I'll show you that on the next few slides. Like none of our count goes past five. So we didn't really need him to count people. We just needed to know how many returners there were because if there was only one returner, that told me there were 10 guys not returning the ball, and that was going to create our protection. Okay, So that was the first thing he would say, hey, 10 up, 10 up. Then he would call the color, right? We are blocking schemes were colors. We were either black or white. Again, they couldn't be more opposite of each other because we just wanted to keep things simple. After he gives that protection call, he would give the front line time to point. Again, we were not trying to confuse everyone, uh, anyone here, okay? Uh, and we knew if two guys pointed to the same person, we had an air. So especially early on, you're forcing those guys to point in summer camp because you're going to have players where two players point to the same person. Stop what you're doing. Get it coached up, okay? There's nothing worse than getting a punt blocked, okay? Nothing changes the momentum of a game than blocking a punt. So, hey, we we would take time. You know, we try to be up-tempo and fast-paced and all that. But, man, if we had two guys in practice pointing at the same person to block, we knew we had to stop what we were doing to get that fixed. So he gives everybody time to point at their guy. Then he's going to make a ready call. Then after that ready call, the ball can be snapped at any time. Much like we hear about on extra point and field goal as well, though, it isn't as soon as that ready call is made, it gets snapped. Okay, That snapper can snap at any time after that ready call. Now, he has to keep his mind on the clock. That is true. Okay, But ideally, if you already know you're going to punt the ball, this unit's getting out there fast. You still have time for everybody to point. None of this should be rushed. He gets the ready call, and he should vary up that snap time. Okay, It can't always be, hey, after that ready call, one second later he's going to snap it because coaches and teams are going to start to figure that out, and then you're going to give them an advantage. So, hey, you get the ready call, vary up that snap time throughout. So we talked about having a, basically having a black call and a white call, and that was dependent on how many, how many return men were deep, and then the, the subtraction of that is how many guys were, were not deep, okay? So our black call was our base call, and that is what we would run versus any 10-up look. So again, by 10-up, doesn't necessarily mean 10 guys on the line of scrimmage, but it meant that there was only one returner, okay, uh, versus our white call. Again, black and white being totally opposite. Uh, our white call was against any two deep returners, right? And you're going to notice not much changes between these two, um, but there's a reason why uh, we wanted to, to distinguish the difference between that 10 up or that, that 9 up call, okay? Black was always ran with 10 up. There was no situation where black could be ran against two deep returners, okay? They were married together. 10 up meant one return guy, we were running black. Two return guys meant that that was a nine-up look. We were running white, okay? Again, no mix and matching of those systems. So what is a black call? All right, again, we're going to start with that one. But a black call is the base call. So we always count, and this, this is true of every single slide I'm going to show moving forward on this, okay? But basically, um, we always count from the outside in. That's just like receivers, or that's how we would do our uh, that's how we would do our kick return unit or our kickoff unit as well, so we keep this consistent. Over here on the left side, they will always block two, three, and four. So our left bullet is always going to block number two. Our left tackle will always block number three, and our left guard will always block number four. That is a constant, okay? Again, we are not asking our players to remember different things. So, for example, 
On a black call, the left bullet blocks number two. If we were to make a white call, he doesn't magically block someone else. That doesn't keep it simple for him, okay? That, that makes gives him more stuff to remember, and that wasn't our goal, right? We wanted to have one thing that was pretty simple that we could get good at, all right? And I think we've gotten pretty good at it where I've been, and I'll show you some stats on that. So on a black call, the left side, they're going to block two, three, four. On the right side, they're going to block one, two, three. So yes, that is different, but it doesn't change for them, okay? As long as you introduce it that way, it doesn't change for those people at least, okay? Then our shield has everyone left that's remaining. So it's typically going to be three guys, especially in a 10-up look. So our right shield, he's going to block number four. Our left shield and our middle shield, they're going to block number fives, okay? On black... We have nine dudes, because our snapper isn't blocking. We've got nine dudes, six guys on the line of scrimmage, and three guys in the shield. We have nine guys to block ten. So somebody is left unblocked. If you have a right-footed punter, which we've always had, right, you could change this if you had a left-footed punter, but we know a right-footed punter is going to angle a little bit to where that, that number one on his backside that is going to be the guy that we're going to leave unblocked because he has the farthest to go. We obviously wouldn't want to leave the guy to his kick side unblocked because he has the shortest route. So literally, the reason we called it black was that was the box left defender. Okay, He had the farthest distance to travel if he were to come and block a punt. So that is the guy that we were leaving unblocked. Now, depending on what that return unit is, there's times they might not even bring that guy. He might be the guy who's responsible for covering that left bullet, and, and we, just, we just gained, okay? We're at an even better advantage now because that is the only guy we have unblocked, and if he doesn't come, they just helped us out, okay? But it was all based around this ideal in a black call with a right-footed punter, which I've always had, is we're going to leave the guy uh, on the line of scrimmage all the way to the left. We were going to leave him unblocked, and every other single part of the count went from there. Now I'm gonna to go to the next slide, which is also a black call. Nothing will change, except you'll notice in the middle of the screen here, I'll toggle back and forth a little bit, okay? All that has changed, no one's blocking scheme has changed whatsoever. We're asking those guys to do the same things over and over and over again, okay? Except how they lined up. If you look at the punt return team, right? They actually now have six guys on our left, but he didn't magically get numbered as number six because when we install the system, if I go back to the first slide, nobody blocks number six. So I didn't want to tell guys, okay, well, if they're five by five, you block number five, but if they're six by four, you block number six. Again, we put too much thinking on those guys, especially if you high school coaches. These are, these are 17 year old dudes that don't even know how to fold their own laundry. And yet you're giving them more things to think about. So, Again, go back to the second slide here. Yeah, they have an overloaded side, okay? Everything is still the same, though. We still have nine guys to block their nine, and we still have to leave that backside guy on that left side, okay? Again, that's the reason why it's a black call. We have to leave him unblocked, but it didn't change anything for anybody. Our middle shield is still blocking that number five. That number five guy is just coming from a little bit of a different location. He's on the other side of the snapper right now, okay? So that was our black call. It all started around that. Now, a white call. So that black call is 10 up. 
They have one returner deep, so they have basically 10 guys that could potentially come. Now, unless you're really, really, really late in the game, they're probably not bringing all 10 anyways, right? They have to cover your eligibles. So you're typically not even going to get 10 to come there, but you have to have an answer. You have to have a blocking assignment that allows for it if that were to happen. So now we go to the white call. So this is against two return men. We make a white-white call. Nothing changes for anyone. Again, we wanted to keep it as simple as possible except one person. And basically, it was that left shield. Okay, That left shield, now, there's not two number fives. Okay, So that left shield no longer had a number five. He could go out to block that number one on the backside that we had typically been leaving unblocked. Now, in a white call, we have nine guys, because again, our snapper's free releasing. So we have nine guys to block their nine. We can get everyone blocked. Well, in a, in a white call, I don't want to change everyone. I don't want to make the left bullet now block one, the left tackle now block two, the left guard now block, right? That, that changed multiple people. I'm okay with changing one guy, though, in a call. So in this case, our left shield, he would be able to widen out, not back up, but he would be able to widen out and block that number one who's typically unblocked. Our middle shield would still block five. That's exactly been his job anyways. Our right shield would still block four. That's been his job anyways. Right, The right side guard tackle and the bullet, they block one through three just like they did in every other picture. So literally this changed for one person. Our left shield can now block that number one guy on the backside, which we haven't been able to block. So it is the opposite, right? Which is why one call is a black call, one, guy, one call is a white call, because those are absolutely opposites of each other. Take another look at a picture. Again, nothing has changed here, right? We just put that number five on the other side. That's fine. He is still able to be blocked by the middle shield. Nothing else in this picture has changes. Uh, we still got the, the bullet blocking two, the tackle blocking three, and the guard blocking four on the left side. That's just like it were a black call or a white call. It doesn't matter. We still see everything on the right-hand side of the line, guard, tackle, and the bullet. They're still blocking one through three. Again, our right shield still has four. Our middle shield still has five. Nothing has changed for those people whatsoever. Okay, The snapper's still doing his job, and the punter's still doing his job. So ten people have the same exact job. Except now the left shield knows on a white call, I get to fan out. Again, not back up, but I get to fan out, and I can block that guy that we weren't able to block in a black call. And again, he might not even be coming, folks. If he's not coming, your left shield can just stay in there and get anything that seeps through. Punt coverage. Again, I think this depends a little bit on who you're using. Okay, so I go back to the example. Let's just look at the shield. I go back to the example. If those guys are linemen, I doubt that that's what you have them doing, or I would recommend you probably shouldn't have that guy going 15 yards wide before he ever gets, uh, before he ever kind of starts getting vertical, okay? Uh, again, I've been at situ uh, in situations where we have used those guys. Those have been like bigger tight end type bodies, guys that could still run a little bit. Maybe they were a linebacker or maybe a smaller defensive lineman, but they were still guys that could run 
where you trusted them in coverage, okay? So basically the bullets, those guys ran at the ball and they should always run at the opposite shoulder, okay? Little trick that I picked up along the way. Those guys are getting down there to the ball, they're running at the opposite shoulder. Again, some teams wanna run a middle return here because it hits north and south quick. So by those guys running to that opposite shoulder, it really helps prevent this thing just from gashing us north and south right away, okay? The guards, they're going to get five yards outside of the return man right here is kind of where your lanes come into play. Uh, the guards, they get five yards outside. The tackles, they get 10 yards outside. And then again, our shield guys, our right shield and our left shield, they were your contained guys that were 15 yards outside of that return man. So we know the difficulties with this, right? As that return man moves moves left to right, those kind of those lines should move with him, okay? Um but that's probably in any system, whether you're shield or whether you're whether you're something else. So again, pretty simple for us right there. The snapper, he was always getting down to the ball. Your uh, your middle shield, um, he was still running hard, but he already starts seven to eight yards behind all of this, anyways. Plus, he's probably blocking someone, so he's kind of a, a safety now. Doesn't mean he goes jogging and anything like that. But he's a guy who doesn't necessarily have an assignment other than, hey, if it were to get through the coverage side of this, right, if it were to get through those other guys, we need you to make a tackle. And, again, that was typically a linebacker-type guy for us. And then the punter, you truly are our last line of defense. And then I see it's cut off a little bit there at the bottom. But basically the other rule is that no one gets deeper than the ball, okay? It doesn't matter what position you are. If you're deeper than the ball, that ball's going north and south on you, um, you you're, you're not helping anybody. So keep that ball in front of you, okay? A little bit of a kickoff return, or excuse me, a kickoff coverage concept is hey, as long as that ball is in front of you and inside of you, you're in pretty good position, right? With the one exception being those, bu uh, those bullets that are going to cross. So does this work? You're like, Coach, man, um, this, is, this is pretty simple, Coach. I don't know about this. So this is a slide that I added. This would not be in our normal playbook. The other stuff that I just went through, the black and the white call are taken directly from our playbook. You're saying, Coach, this is, this is so simple. I don't know here. Does it work? Well, here's some numbers for it, okay? These are the most recent numbers I have. I, I sadly don't have uh, any 2015 St. Ambrose film. That's when I was the special teams coordinator there, and I reached out to their coach, and that film's been gone for a long time. But I do have access to 2019 when I was coordinating at uh, Lincoln Way Central. And in 2019, we punted 32 times, okay? 11 of those times, we downed the football. That's pretty impressive. We're already at a third of the times, okay, they didn't even get a fair catch in. So a third of the times we downed the ball because of some of the things I'm about to talk about. Um, well, number one, as a review, we kept it simple. Uh, we didn't have guys sitting around thinking, right, or we didn't have guys waiting till the thud of the football to run down the field. Uh, what are other reasons why we had good coverage? Because we used athletes. Again, we weren't running a bunch of offensive linemen out there, okay? But I'm going to talk uh, here in a slide or two about reading the intent of the rusher, and that's really where we really gained an advantage. But of those 32 kicks, 11 times, we were the team that downed the football, and four of those were within the negative three. Okay, we actually had one down at the negative three, one down at the negative two, and two down at the negative one. So you couldn't put yourself in much better situations than those. Um, so I think that's proof that this does work. 11 times, so another third of the times roughly, the punt was actually returned. But in total, 
Of those 11 returns, it was only returned for 56 yards. Okay, so the math on that is it's 5.1 yards per return. Ah, that's, pre that's pretty good. I'm not in love with that number, okay? But there's more to the story here. So one of those returns, it was 12. The longest return we gave up was 15, and that was due to a missed tackle, okay? But that's on, that's on us. Um, that, that isn't something we can write off. We missed a tackle. Guy didn't come to balance, and the guy comes right, right underneath him. Uh, and we give up a return of 15. But going back to this bullet point of 56 return yards, uh, one of them was on a block in the back that called back. Okay, so that was on a return of 12 yards. So if you take those 12 yards out, it actually becomes 44 return yards out of 11 punts that got returned. So now they're down to four yards per return. That's, that's pretty good. Okay, if you think the ball uh, only gets returned a third of the time, and when it does, it only goes four yards in that return, I think you'll live with that as a, as a special teams coordinator. I think that's a great statistic. But you got to remember, we didn't punt the ball 11 times. We punted the ball 32 times, okay? So if you take, hey, we gave up 44 return yards in 32 punts, that was only 1.8 yards that the other team gained every time we punted the football, okay? And I think that's pretty special. Um, that's not even at two yards yet, obviously. So we felt like if we rolled our punt team out there, we kept it simple, and we preached coverage. We weren't going to allow the other team to make some dynamic play. I was talking with Coach in the break here, and it's like, you know, there's a couple couple thoughts, right? One way is you can say, man, we're going to win game, or we're going to win games on special teams, and that, and that works for people. But I think that starts to take a lot of time. I've always been a little bit more. We're going to keep things simple, and we're going to make sure we don't lose games on specials. Yeah, we might not change the overall the overall scheme of a game through our specials because we've taken the approach of keeping it simple. But in doing so, we should, certainly didn't let the other team affect the momentum of the game through specials. And I think if you're punting the ball and you feel like they're only going to get, on average, 1.8 yards per time you punt the ball, I think you can feel pretty good that the other team isn't going to dynamically change the game. And again, I also said earlier, because of this system, um, knock on wood, and I'm not coordinating, coordinating it anymore, but in two years, we never had a punt blocked either. So that's a great way to change the momentum of a game. So it still keeps you safe against getting that thing blocked, but it also gives you great coverage and keeps you safe on giving up a big return. So that was 22 of the kicks. Five of the times we kicked the ball out of bounds. It was a returner. We didn't even want to give them a chance. I, I, I looked through the film, obviously, and remember the two games. Um, and they were guys that we didn't want to kick the ball to. So we just kicked the ball out of bounds. So, again, they're not returning those. Four times they were fair catches because we had such great coverage as well. So, obviously, no yardage there. And there was one time we missed pinning them kind of about the negative two, negative three again, uh, and it rolled in for a touchback. So if you add in that 20 yards, so by the touchback, it, yeah, we could have had them at the negative one. Instead, they had the ball at the 20. Okay, so if you add in that yardage difference, you get that a punt return team against us in 32 punts, they only gained 64 yards. That ends up being exactly two yards. Every time you punted the ball, the other team gained two yards. Um, that's pretty powerful. I think that's something that shows you this system can work for you if you believe in it and get it coached up right. And again, folks, it's not anything revolutionary, okay? Um, here's where I think you can grow as a coach uh, if you're not doing this already. It's this idea of keying the rusher 
and reading his body language. So I have a lot on this slide because, again, this comes directly from our playbook, and I don't want to make our playbook overly long. So this is something that I might, you know, break really break down over a couple days with players, okay, uh, during install. But I think this top thing, this idea of key your rusher and read his body language, that is something that not enough places are doing, okay, uh, especially maybe at the high school level. You know, I think about, and I mentioned in the last, the last talk, that, you know, you teach – you teach your DBs to read that guy's body language. You teach your offensive lineman to read that guy across from him, his body language. I think you should be doing the same with your punt team as well, okay? So basically, it's down to this simple. If your man is off the line of scrimmage, he's not going to factor into the block game at all. So if, you know, we're, we're getting our count, we're counting from the outside in, and I'm blocking number three, and my number three is off the line of scrimmage, I don't need to block him. Now, if he walks up to the line, that's a different story. But if he is five yards deep and I'm responsible for him, he is not going to block the punt. Okay, and again, this assumes that we have a good snap and good operation time because there's no answers to really fix those. But if my guy is off the line of scrimmage, I can release right now. I just go. Okay, I don't have to help out with anybody else. My guy's off the line. He's not blocking the punt. I'm releasing. I'm going. The next thing to teach, what if his stance is square? So I'm blocking number two, okay? I'm the, I'm the uh, uh, this would be our right tackle in this case, and I'm blocking number two, and his stance is square. That is not a very aggressive come downhill stance, okay? So if his stance is square, I think he's part of the return game. He is not going to block the punt. So I'm going to release as well. Okay, now I'm going to try to do, this says release to cover. I'm going to try to get a punch on him, but then I'm right into my coverage. Okay, so just in case, I'm trying to slow him down a little bit, but nine times out of ten, that guy has a square stance. He's not coming after uh, a punt block, so you need to release your guy as well. Lastly would be what do they look like if they are coming? They're going to be one of two things. They're going to be in a two-point stance with their feet really staggered, okay? They're trying to get downhill on you really quickly. That means that guy is probably going to pressure. Or if he's in a three-point stance. I don't see too many teams put their guy in a three-point and then ask him to, to not go forward, right? I don't see them put him in a three-point uh, and then be a part of the return game. Typically, if he's got a hand in the ground, he's going forward, he's going after a block. So if your guy has a hand in the ground or if your guy has a staggered stance, you have to think he's part of the block now. You need to really take your time blocking him, and then you can release for your coverage. But I'm going to show a clip here in a minute. You're going to notice I think there's only six people, so they have, they have ten possible, and I think only six of them, by us reading their intent, only six of them come. So we're able to get four other dudes, or excuse me, I think it's three other dudes, we're able to get those other dudes out in coverage right away because they read the intent of their rusher, which is something a lot of teams don't talk about. A lot of teams say, you're staying there, you're blocking until you hear that the ball gets kicked. And it's just, this got, this got introduced to me by Tom Anthony when we were at St. Ambrose. Again, Tom was our D coordinator, but he had coached this at Youngstown, and it's something that we really, really, really believed in. Uh, the other thing, so that's kind of the key part of this. Uh, then you're talking to your guys about how do they step, okay? So I have to block somebody now. What does that look like? And again, there's a lot of info on this slide that yeah, you could probably break up, okay? But we've identified I have to block somebody now. 
My guy is in a three-point, or my guy is in a staggered stance. I got to block him. How do I do that, coach? Again, these guys are probably uh, linebackers that are on this coverage unit, or these guys are probably maybe a tight end would be ideal if they have to block someone. Maybe this person is a wide receiver, okay? So you got to teach them how to block a little bit. So we said if that defender, okay, I've read my guy, and I think he's coming. Coach, I got to block him. What do I do? If he is within the frame of your body, you take a base step. This just becomes old line stuff that I learned from Matt Drinkle while we were at while we were at Ambrose together. Okay, he's in the frame of my body. I'm gonna take a six inch step, basically straight at him. I'm gonna get my toe to his groin, and I'm gonna aim for his inside number. That's how I'm gonna block him. So again, not overly complicated, folks. We only we only were in this situation 32 times, so I don't know how much you really want to spend on it. That seemed to be the good meet in the middle answer for us. It's just having a key for them that, hey, he's in the frame of your body, you're going to step at him. What if that guy is off my body a little bit, okay? So I can't base step at him. I'm going to zone step at him, all right? And again, this is just O-line blocking stuff. So if I'm zone stepping, I'm going to take a lateral step with my first step, and then everything else becomes the same. I'm not teaching anything new. My first step is lateral. My second step, I get that toe to the groin, and I'm aiming for that inside number, okay? So, hey, he's on my body. I base step. He's a little bit away from me. I zone step, which is lateral, and then getting vertical on him, okay? And the only other option is what if he's really far away? Then we have to bucket step. So now this is like outside zone, okay, or wide zone type footwork. I'm going to bucket step. So now I'm going to take that six-inch kind of that backward step, my second step, I'm going to cross over, but then everything else remains the same. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming, towards, aiming towards the groin and also that inside number. So get with your O-line coach as well. Maybe he's got some pointers in there, but you have to step. We are not a go-backwards unit, especially your shield guys. Remember, we're, we're a coverage unit, so we don't want to sit there and step backwards. The only time we do is that bucket step. And that is only from your front line guys, which, again, in O-line stuff, we know what is a bucket step about. I'm going to give up ground on the first step, but I'm going to gain ground with that second. So, yes, you are stepping backwards, but you're doing it so quick, quickly with such a purpose that it's not like you're continuing just to sit there and kick slide like it's a, a, like it's a pass protection, okay? So keep that in mind. And the punch, man, we didn't overcoach the punch at all, okay? We told the guy... You need to get a solid punch on him. And it's like, man, coach, that's pretty vague. All right? I, I mean, I don't know how, how, how much you want to complicate it. Do you want to say that he has to block him for one second or three seconds or whatever it is? You know, I've always learned in coaching if you tell a guy to do something for three seconds, he probably only does it for about a maximum of two anyways. So we just said, hey, you have to get a solid punch on the guy. We weren't going to overcoach his punch uh, again because we were more so about getting to that release. So for some coaches, that, that's not, that solid punch isn't going to be enough information. That's fine. You can find out what works best for you and get it coached up that way. But I go back to teaching the rusher's intent is probably the number one thing, minus simplifying the system overall, uh, but that's probably one of the number one things that has really made this unit successful for us at the places that I've been and allowed us to have great coverage. Again, if your guy's not coming, why are you sitting there blocking nothing, okay? You just need to go release. So, I got a clip here, all right? 
think you hopefully you guys can see my see my mouse as I'm moving it. But let's take a look at this. This is early on in the season. This is against Richards. Uh, and Richards here in the state of Illinois is a great program. They're always going to make a quarterfinal run, if not even better than that, okay? Really, really, really good athletes as well. These are guys we don't want returning the ball on us, okay? But we're still going to kick this. Um, and I didn't pick this. We end up pinning them here, right? This ends up being a really great play. Um, but it's not because I'm not picking this play because it ends up good for us. It is just a beautiful picture of what I mean by the intent, okay? So starting over here on this side with these three guys, I'm actually going to let this play just a second, then I think I'm able to pause it. All right, so now, yeah, we got our guy making this call here. So let's look at where they're at. These first two players, if you can see my mouse moving around, they are in a two-point stance, but they are square. I'm letting my guys know right now, okay, in my, in my heart, I don't think those guys are gonna gonna affect a block whatsoever. Okay, now I can't yell this, right? I can't yell this for all ten people, but I'm teaching these guys that hey, your guy right now is in a square stance. You can release this guy right here. He is in a staggered stance. I'm taking a bet that he is going to come. Now I've obviously been able to watch this clip. This guard right here. This would technically be our right guard if you're on our perspective. He does a really bad job of his bucket step. This happens to be the first game of the year, um, and it's not too far into the game. Okay? You can see it's the second quarter. So this is probably only the second time that he's done this. Uh, he just hops. So that's something that, hey, we got to get coached up. He should be bucket stepping to that guy. This guy's way off his frame, but I'm telling you, he's in a two-point staggered stance. That guy's coming, so you need to block him. When he's that far outside of you, how are you going to get there? Bucket step, don't hop. Okay, I believe this guy hops and then this guy cuts in front of him because he's jumping around in the air instead of taking a bucket step. But again, when we play it, you're going to notice this guy's in a two-point staggered stance. He's coming. This guy right here, two-point staggered stance. He's coming. Now we've got this guy here. This guy's probably responsible for the snapper. He's five yards off the ball right now. Again, at five yards off the ball, he's still in the count, okay? But he, he, he certainly doesn't need blocked. So whoever is responsible for him, in this case it happens to be a shield person, but whoever is responsible for him, all right, if it were a frontline guy, they could release right away. Obviously, if it's our shield guy, then at that point they become a guy that helps kind of pick up some leakage, okay? And that's what happens here because, again, since we didn't bucket step, this number three gets it gets back to the shield. These two dudes right here, two, as we look at the screen, to the right of our snapper, these two guys, man, this cat especially, these guys are coming. Two-point staggered stance. They're going to pressure. The dude next to him, this guy's in a, he might even be in a four-point stance, okay? But he's certainly in a three. This guy's going to pressure. So we know anyone responsible for those three guys, they cannot release right away. We are reading their intent. Their intent says they're coming. I got a block. And then over here on the other side, basically, it's kind of like a mirrored picture here, okay? These two outside guys, look at how wide this guy's stance is. There's no way that that guy is trying to get to the punt, all right? Uh, he's in a square two-point stance. This guy's in a square two-point stance. So those guys, since they're in a square stance, we don't think that they're coming after a block. Our players can release. Now, again, I don't know that we do it perfect on here because it's probably only the second time in a, in a game that we've done this. Uh, for this season, but I do know that that reading the intent holds up a hundred percent true on this. I won't I won't play it and re rewind it too much, but maybe you're able to do, to do that at home. Uh, but 
But based on what I just said, reading their intent, it carries out to 100% here, okay? So if I let this play, again, man, that guy right there, he, we said he was coming, and he was wide. He's the guy who ends up cutting in front of our face because we don't bucket step. But everybody we said was going to come comes. Everybody we said that is going to hold up, uh, maybe had a two-point stance, and we're going to hold up. They hold up. But we're able to get guys releasing early. Man, it's an excellent job by this dude right here. This guy's pretty dang good, but this guy did a tremendous job. These two players were able to release early. They did a tremendous job. So we're going to get to the point here, folks, where we have four guys coming unblocked against their one returner. And I'm telling you, their returner's good. Their returner's better than our guys. But he sees four dudes coming at him plus a nice punt. Uh, he does not get this returned. And we're, we're able to down this at the one-yard line. Ended up being a really, really, really great situation for us. I'm here to tell you, I truly believe part of the reason why that worked for us is because those guys were coached up on reading the intent of their rusher and that able to get them down there a little bit earlier. So I, I really believe in that stuff. Some odd situations, okay? That's just kind of the base, and I realize I've talked on a while, uh, um, but that's just kind of the base of, hey, that's that's us punting the ball, okay? Some odd situations you're going to see with your punt team, okay? What do you do when you're backed up? A lot of times we call this a tight punt situation, and I have a little bit of a story here. Uh, I said that when I've coordinated, I've never had a punt blocked, and that is true, kind of. I had one blocked when, in 2015 when I was at St. Ambrose and we were playing St. Xavier. We were backed up, and we called tight punt. So at the time, tight punt brought everybody splits. Remember, they were 2-3-3 three, and three from that previous slide Okay, at the very beginning. Uh, but basically, it brought everybody down about a yard split, all right? And we noticed all we did afterwards, everyone's a genius afterwards, we noticed all we did was bring the rush team closer, okay? And it, and it shortened up. Again, we still have one person unblocked. All it did was shorten up his path to get to the block point, and he actually did block it. Luckily enough, there was a penalty on it, so it didn't count. Uh, we lined up again. Um, we didn't do tight punt. We didn't bring those guys. We didn't have a different answer at the time, so we just went regular punt. Uh, and we punted the ball off and it didn't get blocked. But it was a heck of a learning lesson for us, okay? So for me, tight punt. You don't start to bring your guys closer. All you did was help out the other team. So you keep the same splits up front. You just put your shield up a little bit tighter, okay? And again, other coaches are going to have other answers, and that's totally fine for whatever works best for you. I experienced the bad way, and luckily I was fortunate enough. It was ended up being kind of a bad way uh, that we got one blocked, but it got called back. Uh, but, but we realized, hey, tight punt wasn't about restricting our splits. Tight punt, let's get the shield up there a little bit quicker because we, know, we think a lot of guys are coming. A lot of guys are coming hard, so we're going to have to be able to block those guys maybe a little bit longer with our shield. So let's provide a little more distance to do that. Okay, there's no, nothing worse then a, a punt gets blocked because it actually hits your shield guy, right? And that's why I talked before about we don't want to back up. So what we do want to do in a tight punt situation, when we pretty much know they're coming and they're bringing a lot of dudes and they're bringing a lot of guys hard, we want to get our shield up there a little bit tighter to kind of to kind of open up the space that we have in back between the punter. Also, too, depending on where that ball is, your punter might not have his normal operation room, okay? If that ball's on the negative one, 
his toes aren't at 15 anymore. His toes are maybe, right, like 11 yards, maybe 10 and a half or 10. So that's why we want to get that shield up there as well, okay? But we do not want to restrict our splits. And, again, I talked about Jimmy Flynn earlier. Uh, he was I don't think he was coordinating it at St. X at the time, but he was on the staff. And, uh, man, we learned a lesson there. Don't start cutting those splits down. All you do is bring guys closer. Now you are really, really, really uh, dependent on your operate, your snap, and your operation time. That being the answer um, to this thing not getting blocked, okay? And everything else stays the same. We still made a black call or a white call depending on what their situation was. Uh, we didn't change blocking schemes, anything like that. Tight punt. Just move that shield up a little bit. So again, if if your punter's now at eleven, the ball doesn't get ran into him or something like that. So that's a tight punt situation. This is one that is uh, not counterproductive, but this slide is going to have some coaches asking questions. You're going to say, Coach, you made this super simple, right? Your, your whole two conversations here have been about keeping it simple, and then you throw this in there. So now you're being contradictive, and I totally understand that. So I would never, ever, ever do this thing that I call flip call until I realized I needed it. And so this was never in our playbook until we realized we needed it. And I certainly want to install it early, okay? I want to install it until I feel like I needed it. So here's a great example. In your summer camp, your first couple days, you're only running black calls and white calls. Only running black and white, only running black and white, okay? And then you're gonna script a card where you start to get that three. Remember, our right guard is responsible for three. You start to get that number three really, really, really wide. Where like, coach, if we bucket step, we still can't get to him. That's where this flip call comes into play, okay? And on this flip call, basically the guard, the right guard and the right shield are talking to each other. The right guard is saying, right shield, this guy is so far away, I can't block this dude. I'm going to block your guy and you're going to block my guy, okay? We're basically flipping responsibilities. So that's where it gets that name. So typically our right guard would block number three, but we're saying number three is so wide that the right guard says, I can't get him. Typically the right shield would block number four, so the right guard's saying, hey, I'm going to block four, you block three, this thing will work itself out. Again, that is different. That that changes things. That That's a little more thinking. We've added to their plate here. So I would never, ever, ever do this unless, number one, I felt comfortable that we understood our black and our white calls, and I would never add this if, if I didn't think that we would ever need it, okay? So maybe you're not going to see a, num a, a, a number three who's really wide for a while, then don't add it until you need it, okay? So I would uh, kind of preface it with that. The next slide here, rat, okay? This is if you have to take a safety. And I've learned, I'm going to keep the slide up, but I'm probably not even going to really talk about the slide, okay? Um, here's another one that I've just learned through experience, okay? This is a unique situation um, that, man, you've, you've put more on their plate. Some coaches, if they're late in a game and they feel like, man, it's fourth down, we're backed up, we rather take a safety here than punt the ball because if we punt it, it could get blocked, and now we're giving up a touchdown instead of giving up a two-point safety. Some coaches are going to err towards let's just automatically take a safety, and that's fine. That's your head coach's decision. Okay, I always, I always make the comment, his name's on the mailbox, not me as the coordinator. So if our coach wants to put us in that situation, that's fine. I support it. 
There, there's people that do that every year, okay? Where I would argue with him preseason would be if we want to do that, I would just put my offense out there. Why, why would I continue to keep um, our punt team out there and force them to learn some other thing? So at some point, I've done this with a, with a punt unit, but the more you think about it, if we're sitting here and we're trying to be simple, I would just use my offense. Think about your offense, okay? Well, number one, you don't have a long snap involved in this, so the odds of a long snap going bad are a heck of a lot higher than a shotgun snap going bad. So we've eliminated the long snap by putting our offense out there. We've also put our quarterback out there, who's probably one of the top three athletes on our team, okay, and hopefully a very smart guy too, to where we've taken some of the thinking off. All right, let's go back to if you take a, take a safety with your punt unit. Uh, you got your punter back there. I don't know who your punter is. Is your punter a specialist who's only with you for half the practice? Um, and then all of a sudden, you tell him to take a safety, and he really doesn't know what he's doing. So he starts running around, and then he thinks he can run the ball for a first down, and he gets tackled. You would you would drive yourself nuts with that. So just keep your – if you decide you're going to take a safety in a game on purpose, I would say just keep your offense out there. Keep the guys that you trust out there and add it to their playbook, not necessarily your special team's playbook. If you're saying your special team's playbook, you want to keep simple. Again, other coaches would never take a safety, and that's fine. That is their, that is their prerogative. I would just say if you are going to take a safety, keep your offense out there. Uh, I talked about fakes earlier, okay? Uh, I'm a believer in having, again, one run fake, one, one pass fake, and keeping those simple. So here's basically, again, the slides in front of you. I'll probably talk about it more than I'll refer to the slide. But basically, when we were at Ambrose, both of these worked for us. Uh, through scouting, we pretty much knew what teams were going to do. And one team was always going to be nine up, so they were always going to have two returners. And everything is they were going to drop all of their dudes. They weren't going to really rush at all, okay? They were a return team. I talked earlier in my uh, in my other talk. Okay, you have to decide, are you a block team or are you a return team? This team decided they're a return team, so everything revolved around that. So when the ball was punted, they literally had all their guys dropping back. So they're, you know, their their guys are doesn't matter how many were on the line of scrimmage at the beginning, all of them were dropping back when the ball got punted. There was a man type blocking scheme, right? Um, so we just ran them off. If that's what they wanted to do, all of our front guys ran off just in case they kept those middle guys uh, here in the picture. It's labeled as the five and the four. Just in case, in case they kept those guys, our shield would block them. We literally had our middle shield guy take the snap, right? Remember, he's the guy who kind of closes the door, or closes the gate as the snap goes. He literally just took the snap and ran the ball vertically up the field, and everybody else got ran off because we released to the outside and first down for us, okay? Again, a little bit of it came into scouting. Guys, that is not an overly complicated system whatsoever. Um, could you change this? Absolutely. If you're a team that runs power 80% of the time, your run fake might look more like power. But we are using folks here that don't always run power, right? Our front line guys aren't offensive linemen. So if my, let's go with my left guard, let's say I'm going to run a power scheme for my run fake, if my left guard is a linebacker, or if my left guard happens to be a running back, he's probably never skip pulled in his life. So why would I want to run a, a power scheme type unit on this, okay? Everybody can run vertically and run their guy off, no, you know, it doesn't matter how unathletic you are. You're probably on this team because you are athletic. 
So let's just have a really simple run fake. Um, the downside is you're only going to run this if they're a team that is always going to return and they're going to drop those guys off. So that's the only time that this would work. But we had it in our playbook. We were able to call it when we needed it, and it worked out good for us. And the game, oddly enough, it was a game we should have never won, uh, but we did. Uh, we didn't win because of this fake. That's not what I'm saying. But it certainly helped us win a game in 2015 at St. Ambrose that uh, statistically we should have never won. But that was a huge play for us, okay? Uh, the blue call, right? So green meant ground, so that was a run. Blue, right? The sky is blue, so this was a pass. This was against the 10-up block team. This was against the team that they were going to bring dudes, right? Now, didn't mean they brought all 10, right? Teams typically aren't going to bring all 10 unless they have to block a punt late in the game. Um, so their number ones were going to be responsible for our bullets. So basically, our bullets, they released outside. They took those number ones with them. But we were confident that everybody else in this picture that you see, everybody else numbered two to two, right? Those other guys, there's eight other guys there. We knew they were going to come. They were going to come hard. They were going to come fast, okay, right off the snap. So all we did is we took our shield guy. We actually moved him up a little bit. You don't have to. We just thought it timed up better. But basically, we just put that shield guy up a little bit. That ball got snapped. Eight dudes came running forward. We, uh, we ran off the, the guys that were responsible for the bullet. That right shield guy just ran vertically. He got to the kind of linebacker depth where nobody was because we ran two guys off and everybody else was trying to block the punt. And our punter, uh, again, you could maybe do the, maybe give this to someone else, but our punter didn't have to make some complicated throw. Our punter didn't have a progression. He didn't have to read anybody. He literally just caught the ball, dunked it over all the people's heads that were running at him, and it was probably the easiest completion uh, in, in, in the history of football, right? We didn't force him to read anything. He didn't have a, an out route and then a sail or a corner route. We literally had a guy running vertically down the field. It was like backyard football catch. He just dunked it over all those people that were coming at him, threw the ball. It was a first down for us. So, again, bad side. That's typically only ran against a team that's going to really, really, really come after your block. So you might be a team that wants to have a fake that is a little bit more general and that you can run it against anything. Hey, if they bring three guys, we still like it. If they bring five guys, we still like it. Zero guys, we like it. Eight guys, we like it, right? So maybe you're a team, maybe you're a coach that wants to have one fake that you feel you can run against anything. Again, it's whatever works for you there, okay? I've been fortunate enough. These made sense to us. Uh, we installed these, and, and, and we went two for two on them in 2015. We called them at the right times against the opponents we knew, uh, and, and they worked out well for us. So, again, that was a run fake and a, and a uh, pass fake, right? We kept it with our system. We had a color system. Our calls were black and white, so then these were green and blue, right? Uh, and these were things that obviously were different without tipping off the other team because we were in some random call all of a sudden. Uh, that sounded completely different to everything else. So we would still have the same cadence, 10 up, 10 up, blue, blue, ready, and everything else looked the same, okay? We weren't all of a sudden calling something weird where everybody in the stadium knows it might be a fake. So again, guys, that's a little bit about shield punt. Uh, nothing overly complicated there. I, I, I hope, number one, I hope you took multiple things away from it, but if you did take only one thing away, I, I really encourage you to think about reading the intent of the rusher. Um, I think it's going to make you a better coverage team, but it kind of goes back to those first slides. 
That's only if you want to be a good coverage team. If you decide that you're going to be a shield punt and your number one goal is to never get it blocked, I don't know how much you're going to talk about coverage. You have to talk about it at some point, but it's probably not going to be what you're going to hang your hat on. You're probably going to have some linemen on the field, and your coverage is going to be a little weaker to begin with. That's that's the yin and the yang. That's a decision that you make as a coaching staff, okay? Uh, but if you are a team that's going to run shield punt because you just want to keep it simple, you want to get the ball kicked, and you want to have good coverage with it, Hopefully you took something out of that conversation. Uh, again, if you have any questions, obviously, again, Nick Schroeder and my, my uh, personal email on there. Feel free to reach out at any time. Going back to our, my first talk, again, about the iceberg, right? A little bit, you got some stuff that's a mile wide and you got some stuff that's a mile deep. If there's anything on that or, that I talked about that you want to talk more about and get deeper into, please let me know. Thanks again, coaches.